Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Rebel Guru Radio with best-selling spiritual author Eric Pepin. Season 2, Higher Balance Classics, Timeless Teachings. Rebel Guru Radio is sponsored by Cramp Medic, the most powerful cramp fighting supplement on the market. I think it's an excellent product. I can honestly say for myself, and this is of course uh, difficult to say because it's coming from me, but I hope you take my word on it. I don't think there's anything out there better than Cramp Medic for leg cramps. I used to get them on a near daily basis, maybe every couple days. I know that uh, when I had my motorcycle or bicycle, uh, my legs would be the worst. I would wake up in the middle of the night in pain. Uh, there have been times where I've thought about, maybe I should go to the emergency room. Since I've used Cramp Medic, I probably use one serving and I will not have to reach into using this again probably for two, two and a half weeks. That is more than double what I felt was the recommended like once for every seven days. That's how effective it is. I do think that people need to use it for two to three times to build up somehow in your in your system. We have mainly all positive reviews. Apple cider vinegar is what is going to reduce, you know, acid buildup in your muscle tissue very rapidly. Cayenne pepper is going to expand your capillaries to move that blood into those tight cramping muscles that just do not want to let blood in there to soften it. It is very, very effective. It is going to get in there. Electrolytes very fast. It's going to do the job. It's just a great product. And that's what I have to say about it. Crampmedic.com. The other thing I wanted to say is the Higher Balance Institute store, HBI, or higherbalance.com. We've worked very hard at reducing and slashing the pricing, trying to keep it as a mainstay price forum. Uh, People have said over the years it's too expensive for them and they can't afford it. Uh, I don't know what the next excuse is going to be because it is extremely affordable. Um, We're doing our best to do that. Having Cramp Medic, finding other stuff to maneuver around so we can keep this thing going uh, has allowed us to bring those prices down. Uh, We do have a lot, a lot of material, a lot of classes that are really excellent, I feel. you know, going probably for several dollars, some of those classes. Uh, probably at least 70, 80% off of what we charge, maybe even more. Uh, one thing we may do is maybe change around in the store, like uh, uh, bi-monthly or something, which modules we're offering, because there's so many, I think people get lost in it. So if there is something you want, I strongly suggest you grab it before we start moving it around, but it will come available again. It just may take six months to a year before the, all those other ones start arriving. Uh, back for availability and we're going to start taking down some probably to try to keep some organization to just the the bulk of uh information here which i'm very proud of um so that's what i have to say in that please check out higher balance institute uh you know or higherbalance.com and uh support higher balance please get uh try out uh cramp medic for family friends anybody who has leg muscle problems or any kind of muscle problems in particular it it truly is the best product out there. No foams, no creams. You don't have to run to the bathroom if you're working at the office to put on foams on your leg by pulling on your pants and trying to get to your legs. Uh, No need for tablets. One shot, seven days, phenomenal. If you are interested in acquiring Eric Pepin's books, visit higherbalancebooks.com.
Okay. So I was talking uh, in this thing about the Aborigines and how the Aborigines will go out into the the outback and they will. I mean, you're talking potentially hundreds of miles out there. It's just it's like desert, tumbleweeds. I don't know whatever is out there. A few kangaroos, maybe some dinosaurs from who knows when. I don't know what the hell's out there, but I'll leave that up to the Australians that see this later. Anyhow, there's nothing out there as far as I know. And these Aboriginals, they go out there and they will meet up with other Aboriginals. And it's it's well, they say it's not by chance. They will actually. Predetermine, predetermine a location. They they agree upon it somehow, and then they will go out to this place and be like, "This is the spot," and go there, and they'll meet up whoever they're going to meet. Maybe exchange water, food, who knows? Sit down by a fire. The point is, the chances of them, without prior communication, without prior knowledge of knowing where there's going to be on that specific day, at that specific place, at that specific time, uh, it's 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 like the ocean. It's it's so vast you 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 can't even begin to imagine how vast it is. And the odds of it are just astronomical, astronomical. And yet they seem to be able to do this on a regular basis. And my point to all of this is, is they speak about dream time. I mean, everybody's seen the movies. They talk about their dream time and this other state of mind that they go into and yada, yada, yada. And the real question is, is what the hell does that mean? They go into dream time. One of the things that's very interesting is they talk about how time in their perception there is no future there is no past there is no no it's everything kind of exists in one co co coexistence and for us as westerners we look at this concept and it's it's like what do you mean there's there's no future the future is what hasn't happened yet the past is what has happened but it's already happened you can't change it and the now is the moment we're in and that's how we divide it into these three categories and evidently in their cultural belief, which I'm believing has probably been getting washed out over the past hundred years, uh, and I'm sure that they've lost a lot of their old ways, per se, like many other cultures have as they become more westernized, per se. But the the old ideology was that they just couldn't simply understand that concept uh, uh, in advance, uh, behind, and now. They just they don't, they don't get that. And in their mind, in their intelligence, in their articulation, intellectually, Intellectually, they they all coexist. It's like uh, it's kind of like saying that the same way you have memory and you can recall something. They, on the other hand, feel as if they kind of have like a future memory that they should be able, and they're thinking should. And this, of course, I'm westernizing it because I'm not sure how they would define it. Because I, I think it's it's a missing language of of words. We don't have words for words that they might use to try to interpretate this. So we have to sketch it all out, kind of. But the idea is that in their mind, they believe it's perfectly natural since since, since small children to recall more or less the future and more or less what I kind of said in the writing, and I tried to simplify it for, for people who don't kind of have the HBI knowledge. I was saying that, you know, when, when they decide that they're going to meet somebody, they, in a sense, 
see in their mind where this meeting's taking place. What's happening? How did, how did they get there? They they recollect in, in from the future how they got to that place in the future, and then they come into what we call the present, and then they actually just go to that place following the, the route, the timing, and the knowledge they have from gathering it. Is everybody with me so far? Put your hand up. Say, yes, I get it. Okay. This is how we're, we're doing, you know, our thing here now. This is how I get user response. You know, I don't have you guys in the room with me to aha uh -huh, and all that other stuff. Okay. So they are going into the future and they consider it just part of their now. It's just kind of there. It's just, this is the way it is. And they recollect from seeing what they've seen in their future as being a kind of formula, just like we would think of the past. How did we get there again? And they would guide their way to that destination. That's fascinating. It's very, very intriguing. And the, the interesting part is, is that I believe my projection, astral projection, telepathy, all of these paranormal stuff, they all run on very similar vines. Like they're all connected to the same tree. If you notice everything that I teach, they're, they're almost interrelated. It's almost like, you know, you can almost say this teaching is, is very similar to that teaching and so on and so forth. And the truth is that that is correct. In, in my mind, and that's the question is, is what, what am I thinking in my head? Why do, what, 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 what's up? What's down? How am I perceiving? things. What, what is going on that allows one to know this information? And I thought after I wrote it that this would be a very fascinating conversation to, to have with you guys to, to break down and to, to explore the real possibilities and, and, and how does one uh, utilize such an unusual knowledge? What does it mean? Because you, don't, you can't approach something unless you have a fundamental understanding of how to approach it or to know to approach something. What is that something? How do I identify what it is if I have nothing in my vocabulary? Vocabulary, nothing intellectually, nothing or, or to mark it as a as it is like this or like that. It's almost as if it remains a an invisible thing in our mind. So until we can construct an idea and theoretically create it, it only then becomes feasible for us to mentally approach it and tag it, identify it. So I think that it's it's very interesting if we look at the idea of growing into a way of thinking. And uh, I, I like to approach it in a different way. There is um, stories in, in India about these these wolf children, per se, or uh, abandoned children that somehow uh, survive, and they're adopted by uh, wolves or animals out in the woods, per se, and they, they wean them, they raise them, and somehow, psychologically, the human children adapt, and that becomes their only reality. It becomes their, their only life. Uh, logical way of thinking, perceiving. And from a, a psychologist's point of view, that must be very fascinating. But from a spiritualist point of view, where we kind of have different or broader maybe perspectives, it, it makes one ask certain questions like, how did they survive without fur? How did they deal with the elements? How did they adapt to those circumstances? Were their sense of smell, was it increased beyond normal human perception that we would consider the normal range? 
range? Was their hearing increased? Was their taste increased? And I would probably say yes to all those things. The same way you might say that somebody gets adapted to living in the wild. Eventually, your ear becomes a discerned ear. It knows the differences. It becomes a discerned nose to know the difference by by what it can smell and not smell because it's it's learned that from the environment. I think those are all true. And I think that's fair to say that anybody who would be put out in the wild under the right conditions, everybody in this discussion right now could adapt to that level. You would eventually develop those skills and your ear would get more fine-tuned like a musician listening to, to music. And you know what instruments are. You can tell the difference. But what I'm suggesting is, is that something went beyond that level. Something was pushed beyond that level because it did not have the concept pre-imposed on it that that's impossible. <clears throat> that that is just something that cannot happen. Therefore, we don't even think that thought. We just we just accept it. Somehow something is written as a sense of guidelines. Call it common sense. Call it practical common sense. Call it genetic. Who knows what? But it, it says, no, this is impossible. But the question is, is this. When I when I'll give you another uh, example a certain way, but again, this is from what is within the realm of possible to beyond possible, is to to bring up the when I went to to live in Arizona, I went from the East Coast where it was kind of cooler weather and hotter in the summer to where I thought I was going to die in Arizona. I just saw, oh my God, a hundred degrees? Are you crazy? You know. And what happened was was that uh, after about being out there for maybe six months to eight months, I noticed that a hundred degrees didn't bother me so much. My body had climated to the environment. And it always remembers me, reminds me of this, this memory as kids, when it was like 85 degrees sweating on the East coast, we had these, these people who came up and visited from the South. And I remember one of them showing me her arm. She had goosebumps. She says, I'm freezing because they were used to the hotter climate. And so did I become at that time adjusted to the climate in Arizona. It was still hot, but it was a, a different kind of hot. But what I'm saying is, is that that is not what I'm talking about with these children that are, are abandoned from, from, from very young on. They adapt a sense of smell, a sense of hearing, a sense of body adjustment to the elements that I believe is beyond ordinary. Now, of course, the human body is capable of doing miraculous things, but that's just my point. When does it become miraculous or something beyond what we thought we were capable of? When does the idea of no question in your in your mind no doubt no no question mark no hesitation what does that do to your reality and and your capabilities of of what it what it can do does it mean that you all of a sudden get more sensory in your in your in your tongue or your eyes or your hearing does it evolve like if we were put it under a microscope or do nerves grow or what exactly is happening that they can they can reach the levels. And those are, those are the curious things. So my point is, is that I think if a child was five years old left in the wild and, and it was to adapt, I don't think it would have the same quality of sensory as one that would have been a one-year-old had it been introduced to those environments and had survived. And it goes now to looking at how human beings, in my opinion, learn. 
they learn through communication. We sit down and we give our children our knowledge, our wisdom. We, we show them through practice, through example, through communication, and we, we impart this wisdom to them from a young age, and then they, they carry it on. So it's not necessarily bred into them genetically. It's not like somehow they're downloaded with this information. They're biologically, organically, physically oriented to, to be shown things, and they, they take this information that we hand them. Now, what if you have a culture that is completely unique to other cultures? It's such an old culture. It's such a, it's, it's knowledge is different. It's approach is different. It's approach is perhaps more, not in the sense animal, but in the sense that it has less uh, uh, evolved intellect and maybe it's more like 50-50. It's got like kind of a, a primitive level of thinking and it has a an intellectual part as a human race is growing. And as I've covered in other classes about how man migrated and evolved through evolution and came up through per se Africa and up the continents and then down into, you know, uh, Australia and so on and so forth, you know, the Aborigines are one of the oldest civilizations. And the environment that is uh, made available, the frequencies, the energies, the magnetic fields in the ground, the, the nature, the, the physics of it is, in a sense, different than that would be in Africa or other continents, uh, each having their own unique uh, frequencies or vibrations. And then you have perhaps hundreds of years or thousands of years, in some cases, of humans evolving and birthing in that environment and adapting to those environments, the temperature, the weather, the, the, all the nine yards, as I said, making skin colors different, your melanoma, yada, yada, yada. But it changes a lot of your, your other things in, in your biology. My point with all of this is that um, I think that the aboriginals uh, took on a very different or a unique flavor of perception or consciousness. Uh, perhaps it was brought on, uh, I suspect, by the elements, and I suspect maybe more magnetic fields, who, who knows what, in that environment. And this is where their concept of time began to change. Um, I also think in some ways, and I, I by no means am saying that I, I can uh, confirm this or not, because now we're kind of getting into not necessarily archaeology, but sociology of, of, of the human race and different elements. But I think that where you have a safer environment, less predatory animals, you will find a higher level of, of intellectual consciousness that evolved on a spiritual level versus one that the elements and predatory animals demanded our consciousness for survival more in the sense of creating tools and weapons so on and so forth. So as I said before, if you look at the climate of South America or Australia and you look at how more advanced or less advanced they've become, I think that that is subject to the environment, the temperature, how hot it is and exhausting on the body, tires it. It's you know less time to build and fabricate structures where cold's coming in, you move your ass a little bit because you want to be warm and you, you build better infrastructure. And this builds and designs one's intellect or, or mind through, through generations, I believe. 
Having said that, if we look at Australia and we look at the predatory animals and the climate for some of the areas that the Aborigines evolved in, I think that they were ideally suited for more reflective time in their mind rather than dealing with predatory animals for for human beings so much. I think that they had less, and I think they had less demand for building infrastructure also due to the elements being heavy hailstorms or rain or deep colds, yada yada. So the bottom line is I think they spent more time pondering, reflecting. Like one would say, one retreats to the cave to go within one's mind. I think that you have generations of self-reflective thought that tuck on a different direction from other portions of civilizations that migrated into environments that, that shaped and molded their consciousness differently because of survival reasons. Does that make sense for everybody? Yeah, it's me. It's fucking brilliant. I've never heard it anywhere. It's all my, all me, 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 no book. Ah, anyway, so these are just things that are, are going through my, my mind, my thoughts as I as a enlightened being per se looks at mankind and tries to understand man and how it evolved the organic body that I share with you and, and why it works the way it does. And what are, what are my, my limitations uh, through this organism? So I, I look at all the civilization asking these kind of questions because because in the, at the end of the day, we all have the same basic design in our head. So what the Aborigines, uh, Aborigines have, or Africanese, if you will, or Asians, or, or whatever you want, we all have the basic design at the end of the day. So what, what, what man can do, so can do another. Uh, as I can do, you can do greater. Do you understand? So that is the first realization we have to have. The Aborigines don't have some great uh, part of their brain that we don't have. It's not like we're missing an arm and they have an arm or they have a third arm and we don't. Okay. They have exactly the same things. So the question is, is what is different for them than it is for us? And it really comes down to, to the environment crafting their mind. But at the end of the day, it's their mind. It's how they think. It's how they perceive and why they, do they perceive that way? What led them to thinking that way? And m more interestingly is, is what if we try to think the same way? What if we try to artificially produce that kind of thought or that kind of thinking? And would it trigger something within our own minds in order to create the same effect that they are engaging in or, or utilizing for what is really their survival? Am I boring you yet? Okay, whatever. Anyhow, so as I've taught you guys before, we, we more or less have three parts of the brain. We, we have what is basically the reptilian, which is the smallest part of the brain before we evolve the other parts. So we'll, we'll say it's like the size of a, of a fist or smaller. And it's basically what we use or what, what science suspects we used in our primitive days before we started advancing. So this brings us back to probably, you know, ocean migrating out of the ocean or who knows migrating into the ocean. They're saying now we don't know, but it's before we became human niche like more or less maybe. And we then developed mammalian, which is kind of like this, this, this like split part of the brain that you always see these two parts, these two hemispheres. And we also have that neocortex, which is largely, you know, this, this whole new part that is really the conversation we're holding now in 
the technology we're using, and it allowed this really great advancement. I have often said that I think the seat of spiritualness lies somewhere in the, the core or the pineal gland regions. It doesn't mean I believe the pineal gland is the answer like a lot of people like to jump to, but I suspect these regions are cohabitating or working together. Uh, I think that we had higher sensory uh, earlier on in our history, and we utilized it for survival the same way the aborigines have adapted their ability to go into this dream world which is a some parallel kind of time space is what it really boils down to. It allows them to enter it or to perceive time, key words here, to perceive time differently. And it's, it's, it's what part of their mind they're using that they're able to grasp and utilize this concept. And that's, that's your key that you have to remember. I use the word key. Anyway, so the point is, is that we have to become aware in one part of our own reflection. When I discuss these regions of the brain, you'll find if you have a level of self-awareness that there's this kind of inner calm that almost comes across you. It's like a, a, a sensation, but it's very subtle. And there's this feeling you start to want to think about the interior of your brain. You can't touch it. You can't get to it, but your your mind can think about all these different parts. We can't really feel our heart, but we know it's there. We know where it is, but we don't necessarily know where we are or what part we're using. Okay, But we, we think and we move back, and I'm suggesting that the mere thought of reflecting on that part of your brain, in my opinion, activates a kind of unusual awareness. It actually is stimulating. It's actually saying uh, there's something to turn on there. There's something happening. It's like this weird reaction of wanting to recognize itself like a mirror. Okay, so it's in a sense moving into itself. And that is a, a tool. If you were to reflect on that as a meditation or just sit there and think about that spatialness, much how we do like the brain wiggling technique, okay, uh, it's very similar. It's, it's this constant awareness. And I, I find that I do it probably more often than not. I just don't, I don't think about telling people because it's not something I'm consciously making a point to be aware of. It's something I do. And when I observe myself in the second conscious, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? As a, all my teachings are, as always, I'm always observing what, what am I doing to do these things? And I would suggest this as a, as a method or a technique to practice once a week per se, is this, the self awareness of this region in your, in your mind. I believe that the Aborigines couple this with their exterior, their neocortex. Now, it's not to say that I'm even remotely right, but my point is I don't have to be right or exact. The point is, is that whatever it is, 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 is definitely creating the effect that I'm looking for. Does that make sense? And at the end of the day, that's really the key that we're, we are at least uh, after. So... I wonder sometimes if there were, um, and I, I know everybody's going to run off and, and look into this per se, but um, 
exercises that we knew through brain study that stimulate those regions of our of our ancestral brain like what what are we actually using i'm sure there's motor gears involved there's basic sensory involved there's all these different things but it would be interesting to to say if there was little things that one could practice or do that that helps stimulate those regions in the brain but to me it's not important one part is important that i was just discussing so Going on that, that train of thought, okay, is the the next stage is is you know with the aboriginalities, how do we begin to perceive or change our idea of time? It's so ingrained in us. It's so matter of fact. And I've I've approached this in different times in different ways. You know, for different techniques. And and now we're kind of like even digging more to the root. Okay. Because when when one thinks of mind projection or they think about astral projection or OBE or whatever you want, they're not necessarily thinking that they are moving in time. But I disagree. I, I think that, that it becomes uh, an effect of time. Time is, is memory. Time is thought. Time is perception. Time is relative to your brain. As, I, as I've said to you before, when I was in a car accident uh, and adrenaline pumping and sliding in the car heading down the street thinking, okay, well, I'm off the rock finally. We just got to get to that, to that cataclysmic uh, final event where I hit the guardrails and die or something. And I remember having all this flash memory of thinking of all these people I would have liked to have said goodbye to and who I loved and da 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 da. And then almost stopping and going, what the, you know, my God, this is taking forever in the car and the mud's coming through the window. And I'm just like, what is going on? You know, we're sliding along. And I, I returned back to, to thinking about all these things. And, they, you know, as they say, you, you, your whole life, you know, flashes before you. I, I believe it quite literally. But I think the brain is processing in hyper mode, it's doing something that it shouldn't necessarily be able to do. It's a different than adrenaline rush. Adrenaline lets you get tensed up, you hype, you're hyper aware, but I'm processing thoughts. It tells me that the brain is firing so quickly that it makes time slow down. It, it, it slows everything into a slow motion and you, you have time to, to what feels fast to you or feels normal to you is actually happening so fast in your mind that everything else is slower. So, so again, time can be a sense of perception and if the human brain can do this why can't it do it for other stuff i mean what would happen if you entered into a dream and your brain entered that same state of mind i mean for every minute in this reality you could squeeze into a minute 10 minutes into one minute here so if you for were for one hour, I mean, what is one hour? Somebody do the math on that. Uh, at that equation, what does that mean that you would be doing in this parallel reality within your mind? It, it could feel like perhaps a, a day. You know, compound that same concept. What is a day be, can, can become a week or a month? So it's very interesting to say to ourselves, what what gear – hang on, you guys all disappeared. My computer's acting strange. There we go. Is, is, is what synchronicity, what state of consciousness are you in right now? Your perception – something set the brain at this level. 
Do you follow me? Something set the brain to process at this level. We, we all assume we're processing at the same speed. The, the electrons moving data around. So we all are car lanes together. Now think about this. This is a little crazy. What if my brain as I, the car stopped was still in that hyper state where everything's happening and I decided to crawl out of the car and deal with reality? Would everybody be like like statues to me? Would, would rain jobs just cease or look like they were just incredible slow motion? How would that, if I was born into the world with that state of consciousness, how would I relate to this world or to everybody else? Would I all of a sudden now be an autistic child that we go, this child's autistic? It reminds me of when I said to you guys, I spoke to the artistic child who was just like, and then, you know, I'm tripping on acid. Okay. Literally. And, you know, I said, you know, it sounded like a, a record at times screeching to me across the, the thing. And I never forgot that, but I was holding a conversation with this, this child. And he was telling me about his, you know, German shepherd dog and a fence and his mother passing away and all this information that was no way on any normal level, be able to do. And I, I don't recall telepathically having this conversation, but I'm, I'm sure that became part of it. But the point is, is that, is it possible that their mind is stuck in a different processing level? You know, something different is going on. Maybe we can measure the electrons and go, no, they match our electrons. Or maybe that's just something we're going to have to figure out another decade and say, just because the electrons are moving faster or the same doesn't necessarily mean that there's something else not processing faster. We just can't measure it yet. We don't have that technology. So... Where I'm going with all of this, with this conversation, is just by introducing you to this idea, to make you ponder on it, reflect on it, chew on it, get your mind to, to wrap around it, in itself changes, I believe. It changes your spiritualness around you, how, how the matrix works with you. It changes, it becomes paranormal. Remember I say think of the force and the more you think of the force, the more you move into a spiritual state of mind and you have more spiritual things happen to you. The more drowned out you get, the more doed out you get, you come out of that frequency and less spiritual things happen. So you just start to all of a sudden not get excited or get motivated because you're not relating no more to that frequency. Is that making sense now? Okay. So by talking about it, by understanding it better, by having this discussion, you're, you're, you're reflecting on it. And that in itself, I believe at this very moment is affecting everybody listening to it, listening to my words, uh, having to ponder on it, the, the idea of time, but we're not, we're not thinking about time. We're thinking about how these things relate. It's becoming more of a reality for you. By, by saying, I get it, I understand it, it's the same thing that excludes us from being able to experience dream time because they were raised into this kind of thinking. Their mind gets it, accepts it as a truth. So by me discussing these things, you are entering, in a sense, dream time because you're like, you've shown me a door that I did never think about before, I never pondered on before. And until you showed me that door in my own consciousness by reflecting upon what you're saying, by me taking in what you're saying and like turning inside out in my own head, I am changing my perception of reality and, and how does that affect what I experience? It usually becomes finite first. It's, it's spiritual.
spiritual, it's frequency, it's energy. But as you allow yourself to go there, it becomes much more intensive, much more interactive. Right now, everybody, I mean, I don't want you to go into the in-between, but I'm willing to bet that you guys can taste that funny taste that comes in your mouth when you start to go in-between. Whenever your consciousness starts to shift, it's like a, I don't want to say metallic taste, but it's its not a food taste necessarily. It's an unusual taste. And that is always a telltale sign that your brain is, is altering or changing to a different frequency, in my opinion, a different state of mind. If you were to do... Uh, uh, Ethogens or, or, or mind-altering drugs, you're going to find very similar stuff happens because it's affecting the brain. But here you are doing it without utilizing that, okay? Just from pondering on it. If you watch, you may be getting heat flashes. You may feel temperature changes in your body or it's like little strange innuendos can happen the deeper you start to go into the state. So you need to remove all that stuff and just kind of focus where you're taking it all. So... Am I doing a good job so far? Anyway. So going back to the to the aboriginals and time and how they believe that time, both in the future and in the past, are all are all consciously happening all at one time. There is no up, there is no down in time. They orientate themselves as I guess in our interpretation, we would say simply as existing. Perhaps they think of themselves more like a shadow that has several lights in the room. The shadow isn't one shadow. It's like three, four, or five, depending on how many shades you can, you can visually count or recognize. But they're all from you, from one source, but they're from different projection angles. And that in their mind, perhaps they see themselves more as the shadow as being themselves as they do the, 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 as the person. And if we were to approach such a concept and toy with it in our mind, it's very hard for us to do because we think of ourselves as the point. And as I've told you before, you're really not the body. You're something other than the body. So they see the body perhaps no different than they see a tree outside of themselves or stone outside of themselves or the earth that they walk on, that, that they are just objects interrelating with them that they have a relationship with. Wouldn't you say if you tossed a rock up in the air and caught it, that that rock is part of your own awareness, no more than your hand, no, no different than anything else. What are they attached by? They're attached by electrons telling you what they're experiencing. What if you didn't really think about that concept? You just thought that everything is me. Everything that's here is me. If I have a billion living organisms living inside of me, trillions, protozoan organisms, which one is me? None of them really are. Why does it have to stop and by me confining that I'm somewhere within this, this point of reference, really between my ears, the rest actually is just this drapery cloth that has this little pin operating the whole cloth hanging from it. I'm just, I can just feel when it wiggles, the vibration goes to my head, to my little pin. You follow me so far? What if to say that you, you change your thinking? And your thinking said that everything's a part of me, whether I can feel it or not. I mean, can you feel your hair in your head right now? I can't feel my facial hair unless I make a point to touch it. I wouldn't necessarily know it's there anymore. 
no more than 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 the shirt on my back or my buttocks or or my private parts or my my boobies whatever i mean they're all there but i'm not i'm not really aware of it but yet i accept the fact that that's part of my reality that's part of what i'm connected to if I could change my thinking just by thinking about that and understanding the sense or the logic that that makes for me, whether it's bullshit or not, it becomes my reality, okay? Wouldn't it be true to say that all reality is really part of you? That everything is part of you. Everything is you. And that if you were to sit in a chair and reflect on that and meditate on that and become like that, that what would happen to the limitations of your consciousness? Because right now you think in your head or so you think you do. I like that. <laughs> think about that. You think you think in your head or so you think you do. What if you were able to think outside of your head because you no longer thought of yourself as being exclusively in your head? The moment that that can become a reality for you is the moment that your mind starts to move outside of the parameters of what you perceive to be your own reality, your limitations. So let's step back. What I'm saying is if you think about the chair you're sitting in as being an extension of you, a part of you, if somebody were to bump your chair, would you be aware of, of that? Would you be aware of the direction they bumped from? If it was a hammer, would you be able to perhaps isolate where that one inch diameter size pinpoint it, it, its impact on, on your chair? So is the chair not an extension of your body? I mean, you don't have ner your nervous system's giving you that information, but you have to stretch your, your thinking a little bit. I mean, your fingernail doesn't have nerves in it. It feels something, but it's able to give you an, a, 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 an amount of information that it's experiencing because it's communicating to stuff that does have nerves in it. But you still think of it as part of you as long as it's attached. No more different than if you were to cut your arm off and lay it on a table. You all of a sudden see the arm, but you no longer think of it as being part of you or being you anymore. Once it's attached, you say, oh, that's that's this arm is one with me. Detach it and hold it in the other hand. Now it's it's not. So your relationship to your environment, if you sit and you meditate on it and you play around with the idea. I'm now my chair. My chair is on the floor. I'm the walls. It's all me. A form of a simulation. Again, here we go with the teachings all interconnected. Okay. And you just play around with that expansiveness in and out, in and out. The mind begins to have new possibilities as to how it perceives itself, how it thinks, how it relates. Now, if you were an aboriginal and you believe this, that your entire environment was you, and for you to collect or to know where another part of you was, it would it's be no different to you than you thinking about right now something that you're not thinking about at all is where are your feet at this moment? What are they experiencing? They would do that to one another across hundreds of miles. It, it seems crazy, but to them, that's exactly how they, they think. And there's no question in them that that's the way it works. 
So is that remote viewing? Is that astrally projecting? Are they sending some part of themselves out to get that information? Or are they just aware of it like they are aware of their foot? Is it a memory that they chose to remember and recollect that they consider no different going in the past than them remembering the future? Perhaps they have a limitation how far in the future they can go, but they can go as far as maybe a day to, to two days or three days is the extent of their ability. Nonetheless, I'm telling you, that's how they do what they do. And that, at the end of the day, is a part or an extension to the true core, to mind projection, astral projection, spiritual projection, whatever you want. At the end of the day, that's really the, the epicenter of what's happening. If you project your mind out to some great distance, and let's say somebody's able to achieve that, they did that because they convinced themselves that they could have a part of themselves probe outward, and the mind accepted that as a truth. If it doesn't accept that truth, if it, if it challenges that truth, if, it, if it's questionable or it's not completely convinced that that is a possibility, it then prevents it from being able to do that. How do you overcome those restrictions how do you how do you teach yourself to do what you didn't think you were capable of doing before you start off by convincing yourself that you are not necessarily what you think you are and that as much as you can feel the floor or your shoes that are encased into you and vibrations if somebody were to hit a vibration across the room and somebody slammed the door downstairs in the in the hall you'd know they did it if you had earplugs and you'd feel it you'd even have an idea where it came from and how tuned you are would, would you'd even have more information than that is some of that information potentially coming not only from the vibration but some other side reeled but minor sleeves of information that we could be widening those tubes of data to us. All of those things are limited by our choice to how we perceive time, space, information. Is the limitation about you going into how far in the future is based maybe on how far you think you can go. Every time somebody does something spiritual, I always say they convince their brain that they could. And in time, the brain will convince them they can't because reality and people and society will govern over that and they will reinforce it. I'm getting you guys to think. So the exercise is not to, to do something crazy like decide you can jump in front of a car and it's going to move through you because you refuse to believe in it because you're going to get run over. Anyway, so I better not be embarrassed by any HBI people doing stupid shit like that, okay? If you're going to do something life-threatening, have it happening as you decide to sit in a chair and it's whether or not you're going to throw an orange in the air and you're going to catch it in your hand. I would say it's, that's about, you know, you don't need to do something extreme extreme is just going to extremely make sure that you can't do it it's too big of a leap it's too much 
and the reinforcement of, of your own intellect is going to prevent you from that happening. You've got to start off by small, tiny milestones of, of experimentation that become broader and wider, broader and wider, broader and wider, that, that begin to change that, that perception in your mind and allow you to, to have more interesting uh, possibilities. Um, bouncing around a little bit, you know, one of the things is very interesting. I know that I'm going to, this is a self-observation. I know that I'm going to, and I think everybody does this. Uh, you guys can confirm this or not, but I'm pretty sure everybody does. There's a part of me that is already constructing my lecture in Paris. Not that I'm doing a cheap, shameless plug, but I'm not. And, and I'm seeing myself, you know, on the stage, more or less, inventing what I think the audience will look like, the lighting will look like. Of course, it's very, very nice. And I'm having a, this conversation with them. Okay. And it goes very well. They're not throwing no croutons at me. Anyway. <clears throat> and they love me. They're cheering me on. They can't get enough of me. Anyway. So, but you, you, of course, one can, can let fear take over. It's just the opposite. But anyway, I'm pretty fearless as we know. Anyhow, the point is, is that I'm also seeing myself having conversations with people, but I'm swapping these conversations with faces that I don't know. Cause I know I won't be able to know those people necessarily. And I'm sw swapping around the idea that I'm going to be talking in French versus English. So there's going to be that barrier, but my mind's reconstructing all these things. I told you before, the brain will dress things in camouflage, but it's usually based on a sliver of truth. Am I doing what the Aborigines say? Are you doing what the Aborigines are saying? And you're not even realizing you're doing it because in their mind, they don't really have an understanding of what imagination is. They, they speak in a sense, what we would say maybe more earnestly, or at least until they were corrupted by Western culture, but more honestly, and because of their, their mind, not so much in the idea of developing creative concepts, because how can I go for that stretch? And it, it sounds very, I don't want to say racist or judgmental, but I mean, let's face it. I don't see skyscrapers from aboriginals, you know, over time. Okay. I don't see a lot of creative imagination from their part that they've created some, some new ideas and new concepts and technologies from. It seems like time has almost went past them and they've evolved a little bit. Okay. That tells me that they probably are not using their imagination factors in their brain to confuse with their logical part of the brain or dressing them. We've learned to exploit it, but it also works against us in some ways, more for us evidently from what we've done with it. But the point is, is that they, I suspect, have less of a dresser upper of our mind or what they see. It doesn't throw in everything to make it all camouflaged where we don't have no control over it. And essentially when they see the future, okay, they, like me saying, I see the lecture in Paris, I see the situation happening. If I relax my mind, if I let things go clearly, I can see more of that reality more true as being who I am. Now, I have my reasons why I don't dabble with it too much, but the point is, is that that's exactly what I would do. 
I I am able to filter the the cliches of the brain dressing it with imagination and me going, oh, it's just imagination. And it just runs that way without me even having the revelation of just having that thought. That's how, how insane it, and quickly it, it creates illusion. But the point is, is that I suspect they don't have that. So when they say, in a sense, I see where I'm going tomorrow and I see what I'm doing, they essentially, we're doing the same thing, but we've used other parts of our brain to confuse it all. They kept it sorted out with, without developing those regions, I suspect. Therefore, they are able to enter that dream state clearer, with a clearer sense of, of awareness or, or information than what we get cluttered up in our minds. A clap for me. Anyway, so the question now is, is can we achieve the same thing? And my answer is yes. But it, again, lazy students, you know, aren't going to get there. Disciplined students can get there. And that comes from sitting in a chair, like I said. And I said, we're going to kind of go through the class. But every time I look at the time, it's like it's going so quickly. Ah, you have to sit in a chair. You have to clear your mind. You think about the chair. You think about everything that I just said about the room, the environment, you being kind of part of it is like the chair is part of your body. I mean, don't rush. Don't do leaps and bounds. You're only guaranteeing and firming up your failure. And work with the little things. Slower is faster. And slowly work with the idea of, of convincing yourself, which I think is the key, is try to convince yourself and don't ask yourself, do I think I'm convinced? <laughs> we know how hard that is, as easy as it sounds. So you, and if you do, you just got to keep rolling. You got to just be dismissive. Okay. Don't, don't like revel in the fact that you're frustrated that you thought about thinking about it. And then continue with, with that practice of, of that spatialness. And then think about that as your mind. Think about, about moving backward at first and think about how incredible it is for you to go through your memory and how, how you can, you know, it's very hard to do very crisp visualizations. I imagine for you guys, but don't worry about that because whatever you put together for your memory, don't assume that you're supposed to have more vividness to see your future. Assume that you're going to see it just as vivid less as you do your past. Unless you have a very vivid memory come through, then you can have that forward. Do you understand? So, so, but try not to ponder, kind of just like let your mind kind of go backward and forward, backward and forward. I would say if you have a cube, um, and I know that everybody does, but you can, not another shameless plug, but you can work it out. We have now cubes that everybody should be able to afford to some degree. The point is, if you take the cube, think about holding the cube and rotating it and then imitating those rotations when you actually pick it up and do it. And you say to yourself, that's a forward. And then you sit down and you remember, you say to yourself, now I'm remembering how I did it. And now I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to remember by going back in my memory and bringing it into the now. And now I'm going to put it down and then I'm going to tell my brain I'm thinking of the future and I'm seeing the future and I'm doing the same rotations and then you then you come back to the now and you do the same rotations based on the memory of it. you try to work with your brain to derail it do you understand to to rebroaden its idea of what you perceive as memory versus future memory that maybe if you came up with an idea of what is future memory versus the future maybe if you classify them different in your head 
you'd be able to, to have better levels of that experience. When I would do readings when I was younger and I would see the future, I would always see it like I would see my own memories. Some memories you can get very vivid if you clear your mind. I mean, there's times when I go into deep meditations, I can make memories so crisp, so clear that it's like a daydream that you've forgotten that you're, you're kind of falling asleep. Like I always say, the kid at their, their desk in school, but you're in detention. You can't quite drift off because you don't want to snore and be laughed at, but you really kind to go into this place in between and what you see can be so vivid so real that it can jolt you awake more or less or jolt you back to to this place so can the future be so real if you can start to play with this concept of of creating a future time to project your mind to and then go back and forth like a seesaw playing with it you don't expect huge things for the first day or the first week or the first month okay you you simply keep working with it and what happens is it will make grander things happen. It will make bigger things happen. You'll just go, you'll get a, a flash. Like you get a flash from a smell that reminds you of something very crisp and very, you may get a flash and you'd be like, I don't, I know where that's from, but I, I haven't done it yet. Don't think I haven't done that yet. Let your mind see what it shows you. And all of a sudden you may end up having flashes of the present future coming. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're teaching your mind to work within or outside of what you perceive as time. It's not that you don't understand time. You're redefining your relationship with time. And if you can redefine your relationship with time, if you can restructure it, you can think outside the box. You can then do other things better. When you do your, your projections, when you do your classes or you try to do stuff, because you, you're starting to make your mind perceive differently through your exercises, you now have greater capabilities for the things that you can do. You now will have a, a greater level of response to, to the phenomena that you want to experience. So how you perceive and what parts of your brain are working, there are parts of your brain that aren't. And this is what I'm trying to get at with the whole brain and, and saying we have the same brain. Everything I started the class out with, think about it. I'm looping us back around. I'm trying to show you that you can activate those brain regions without necessarily with fooling yourself to do it, but not really fooling yourself. Cause if you tell yourself I'm fooling myself, you set up guards. What you do is you, you just, you just do it. You don't think about it. You just do the practice. Um, any questions? Now I want to point out something since we started shifting into that first, the time was booking right really fast. And then as I got deeper into it, time slowed for me. Uh, the, the last few minutes have just like inched by, like I could have swore we, we, we crunched in three minutes for every minute that I was doing. I don't know how it all will work at the end of the day on video, but it'll be there. Um, but I suspect highly that when I do teachings, we always have huge technological disasters in some cases, and I've tried to be better with it, but I suspect it's because of exactly that reason. I think time 
is having ch- challenges with with what I'm doing and with the time that's trying to capture it through through technology and that's what's making the technology have problems or shutting down or how it's rewriting it all per se and I don't find it surprising at all that people often say I listened to something but it wasn't there before and now all of a sudden it is I wonder sometimes if it if the stuff that you remember is now you ready I'm going to screw it you guys is I think that if there's an hour of me teaching in some classes depending what I'm teaching there's really an hour and a half there in this dimension you can only hear an hour of it but if you let your mind open up it will move the time pieces around and it will will move pieces that you already have built in your head out from this outside time frame and it will replace and expand the pieces you missed so in your head you can build it all but if somebody were to audibly hear it they wouldn't hear some of the stuff you're hearing does that make sense Welcome to my reality. Listen, you asked to do this. Did we sign waivers? Anyway, so it's every time you have something happening for phenomena or, or spiritual whatever, and I think that other people experience, other people don't, I'll bet you 10 to 1 that there's this time spatialness thing going on. And I, I think that as, as we progress in the near future, I think that, that this is going to uh, be some bigger revelations in, in, in uh, time or history or certain things. Um, you know, it's the same thing, I think, that you could say why we have dimensional beings able to pop into this dimension and pop out. I think that they're there. I think that they're working in different time bands of what, what we allow ourselves to perceive. If you speak to aborigines, they'll say, well, there's all these things going on. There's all these many different things, and one's happening here, but here's this. And where did the dream world come from? When you think dream world right away, this is the biggest accident we make all the time, all the time. We hear dream world. They say we go into the dream world. Dream world is not an aboriginal word. It's an English word. We they assume that that's the best word that can describe what they're experiencing. We automatically assume when we hear the word dream that it's an illusion or a creation of their imagination. Do you follow me? And I'm saying it's not. I'm saying that their mind is multispatial in some cases. Again, I don't know how much westernized they become and who's lost and who's kept it. But but this is what we're saying. When I say multidimensional consciousness, when I teach, you know, uh, meditation or, or the foundation set, I mean multispatial consciousness, multidimensional consciousness. I mean that your mind begins to operate in different levels, in different spatials. So again, back to the car accident and squishing all my thoughts down into a hyper-awareness. So is that outside in one's reality, a hyper-awareness to see, to see slivers of spatial time that we think something just happened. Did you just see that? What did you see? I didn't see anything. How could you miss that? That was so strange. That was so odd. That was a, a jerk in the matrix. Something, something unusual just happened. Oh, I think I seen it too. Oh my God. But, but it doesn't make any sense 
these spatial extremes, I think, are, are slivers that can speed up or squish down. And I think that, that once brain parts are missing, like counting the Fs and seeing that they're not there, I think it's constantly happening all around us. I think that when one evolves spiritually, you catch more of it. And I think that's what, what I must be doing if I had to break it down and to solidify it to, to kind of extract it out for you guys to examine. Do you follow me? I know I'm boring you guys. I should just wrap it up, right? I need to feel something. Anyway. All right. So let's see. Uh, Laura says, don't we experience this effect in our dream state? The dreams seem to take an hour and we're only sleeping for, for five minutes. Absolutely true. Again, your, your limitations, as I was saying earlier, in your consciousness is, are not as limited. It, the possibilities are much bigger. But what, what we're kind of saying that the aborigines are, are originally trying to say is that they don't really see a difference between their exterior reality and their interior. They function with the acceptance of what we consider dream reality. We call it a dream. They, I don't think they think of it as a dream. We only coined that word for them. Are they, they, us trying to teach them our language? They said, oh, well, it's dream world. That's your best word that you guys have. But we have five words for dream, not one. You know, we, we have different ways of looking at it. So for us, it's, it's, there's very real. So like to say that there's, the Greeks say there's four different kinds of love. And they're absolutely right. But you could say in, in English, we only have one word for love. But we, we have to break down the difference, but we have to, they just have a word and immediately they know what they're talking about. We have to, to really explain why well, my love for my child is different from my love for, for my, my dog and my love for my grandparents is a love for them, but it's different than for my lover and sexual love is different than I would have for, for such and so on and so on. Do you understand? For them, it's the same thing. We're, we're balling everything up by saying dream world, but it's different. So they see their, the dreams, not only as an Interior, which is all of our words now. We have to be very careful words. They see dreams as we interpreting just as much as their interior as they do as their exterior. They don't see a difference. And because they don't, it, it makes their possibilities and their capabilities much grander than ours. So Laura says, I think as we bring our consciousness into being more aware, these two states can come together in our reality. Well, that's what we work on spiritually. I would agree with that. Joe says, uh, uh, and Byron, who knows which one it is, uh, says, uh, um, them being stuck on an island, let their mind explore other realities besides the desert. Uh, oh, them stuck on an island. Let their, let their mind explore other realities besides the desert. I'm not sure what that question really means, but anyway, I, I do hope you do know that, that, that Australia is just a really tiny, tiny island. No, I know you know better. I'm teasing, teasing. I know. I was like, I just insulted your intelligence. Okay. Anyway, uh, then Thomas G says, is there a way to prevent the imagination from contaminating the true dimensional data? It's, it's, it is possible, but you know, even for me, um, what's very interesting, and if you had the classes that I taught in Hawaii, which were never recorded except for that one, sorry, uh, I kind of taught about all of that, and that is really a key. Um, I think that our, our minds having the babbler attached to our imagination capability is 
the part of your brain for imagination is our, our greatest uh, detractor from evolving spiritually as it is our greatest contributor at the same time. And this is where it gets very difficult. It's almost like you have to be able to define a difference between – it's like drinking wine. It's kind of new to me. But some people would say all oh, wine tastes the same. And as you learn, you evolve a palate to taste a difference. It's like night and day. Now, I haven't gotten that far. Trust me. Mine is still stuck somewhere on day. I can't get out of it. But anyway, but there's a difference. One could say, you know, that certain things taste the same. Diet Coke and Coke, they can't tell the difference. And some people, there's a huge difference. It's the same thing in your mind. You have to start to develop what is a sense or feeling, a texture in your mind. It's like a knowing. What is your imagination versus what is fact? What is what is real information? And then when you look at all of these psychology uh, research on the, the brain, oftentimes people start to create imagination in their memories because they can't tell that difference. And it's become a, a bit of a problem, sociologically speaking, or at least one that we're becoming aware of, not that to say it wasn't always a problem. Anyhow, my, my point is, is that you have to, through self-awareness and self-study, try to, to catch yourself or discern yourself when you're adding and when you're not. And if you can can play with that and evolve it more, uh, you'll find that your accuracy starts to increase dramatically. Um, I learned this very early on when I started doing psychic work and I would predict the future or work on missing persons or do anything psychically or spiritually. There was the interference, and I remember saying this to to my aunt or somebody when I was learning. I was like, they were, of course, repressing me as a child. What do you see? What do you see? You're supposed to be this gifted child. And the gifted child in me thought, well, I must be gifted because they're saying I'm gifted, so I must be able to do something. And they're like, what do you see in your mind? And I go, well, this is what I see. And they go, well, what, you know, what else do you see? And right away, I knew that I shouldn't pay attention to my imagination because that wouldn't be accurate. They're assuming that I'm going to tell them something that's going to happen. And that's what they says. What you're telling us is going to happen in the future. What do you see in our future? They say, well, that program me right away. Like the Aborigines to start defining, distilling from the oil and the vinegar being shaken that I start to learn to figure out what is the accurate data versus my imagination. So for me, I can kind of feel the difference. It, it is, it is a feeling. It's like, it's, there's less weight. It's the only way I can explain it. When, when one uses your imagination, I can feel it like right here in the front of my head, like something in there. It feels like a, a very minute pressure. I could feel it in me. It, it feels denser and the stuff that is not from my imagination. And you can do this. If you do this with your memory, Okay, and you try to do, to create something that's from your imagination. You, if you can pay attention, it takes practice. You'll start to feel a, a little difference, and you'll think you're going loony. So it's the only way I can say. Or I always say, start practicing psychometry and ask people what your hit and misses are. Eventually, with all your your wrongs, you'll and you get a few right. You're going to start feeling what was that difference. But this is where people are going to be very honest with you, and this is how we stay captured in our reality because people are constant liars. 
in my opinion. They never want to admit to you when you're accurate because they feel vulnerable, like you're going to have some advantage on them. So they start telling you you're correct, and then when they think it's something sensitive, they'll deny a little bit because they don't want to get caught, and then you don't know whether you're right or wrong, so your barometer is jacked up then forever. So it's very hard to find absolutely honest people to practice on so that you can build an accuracy. Fortunately, as a young person, my mind wasn't on sex. My mind wasn't on drugs. My mind wasn't on whether they were cheating or not. My mind was, oh, I see this this lady coming over your house, and uh, uh, she's laying down in bed with your with with your I think it's your husband. You know, uh, I, I wasn't thinking diabolical. You know, as I grew older, I started to figure out the difference. But by then, my barometer had already been created a, a sense of awareness in me. So there's a great advantage in the sense that I have over other people, but it's not to say they can't be recreated. Practice makes perfect. Hence the reason we need a center. What I can teach you, believe me. Oh my God. Okay. So, uh, because then we can control the situation so we can refine your skills. If I'm in the room and you're testing on somebody and I think that person's fibbing to you, I at least can correct the problem and get them to be correct. So eventually I'm sitting behind you. You can, your barometer can match mine. Do you get it? But until we have those situations, I, I you know, we got to do the best we can. So somebody better hawk up a center for me that's rich. Anyway, anyhow, saying what I'm saying, is everybody following what, what I'm trying to get at is that you, there is a sense of knowing you have to do self-exploration is the only way to do that. You have to create your own blindsided test to improve yourself. I would say never, never trust another human being unless you have somebody like me in the room, okay? Because they're all fucking liars, okay? It's very hard for them to be truthful. So until you have that, you, you're at a disadvantage. You know, I'm not saying you can't try. I mean, you know, it's up to you. But I would never trust it at knowing what I know, my best friend even, I, I don't trust because I don't even think they know themselves that well. And this is what, what I've learned over time. Um, having said that, so this sense of, of density of knowing what is real memory or visual memory or coming from another place feels very different than the memory that is created. And the only thing I can explain that is, is that your imagination must create from a different part of your mind or it uses different portions and it, it blends it into your memory to make it more real for you. Or at least that's how it works. It ha as I taught you, it has to reference what you already know to build upon. There's never really an original idea. It's very rare. And if you do have it, you probably got out of the bubble when you did it. Okay. And it brought it back somehow through the means we're talking about. So if you start to play around with your thoughts and you start to analyze them a little bit, you may think you're getting nowhere. But if you learned in Hawaii, you'll learn that just this conversation alone has got your people in your mind working hard on the job for an answer. The people from Hawaii are going to go, yeah, we get it now, boss man. And the other people are like, what you say, Willis? Anyway, so anyhow. The point is, there is no fucking point. I'm getting tired. I think that's my point. Uh, Mike, you had a quick question. I'm going to probably wrap this up soon. Uh, did you want to pop on and ask that question? Go ahead. I can't hear you. Remember? Louder. Can you hear me now? It's okay. Yeah, you kind of are faint. Go ahead. Were the Aborigines remembering 
the highest probability? Or was, because there's a group of Aborigines all remembering the same location, was it a memory slash manifestation? Well, it's it's probably a memory of their, their ancestral data mapped out, but that doesn't explain why they would choose the one that they choose. You know, I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of locations, pinpoints that they would meet on, and to know which one out of all of those memories in itself speaks for itself. I would say this, okay? They probably have memory of all that information, and it's layering like a, a plastic with a map on it that's see-through over another map. So, like memory-wise, they do have memory, and they're just they're just rooting that little fine layer. They're able to be aware of that builds upon that. Do you understand? Now, so I don't know if that answers your question or not, but I would say that they're they're interconnected, and the, there's the one paranormal one that steps outside of that box that's interweaving in and out with, with their memory. It's, it's something building with it. So for them to choose a bi-location that they haven't been to before or to communicate that with one another, it's probably based on memory, but they're communicating. doesn't change a thing. Does that make sense? All right. Anybody else got a question? Oh, there's people typing in. We got to deal with those people. Okay, whoever, well, I shouldn't say last names. Who's, who's, oh, I know who Laura, that's red. Okay, you get one question when I'm tired. Then I start saying, ah, there's a limitation on the questions. Okay, let's see. Oh, God, now I gotta get the bifocals out. Show my age again. Ugh. All right, isn't imagination self created and a vision is a received impression? Well, it's very interesting. There is, you could say that, it's just different schools of approach, but yes, I would say that. In other words, uh, imagination self-created, it's self-drawn upon, it's usually based on some memory, and it creates uh, an idea upon that that becomes your, your imagination. And a vision is a received impression is exactly right. It's information coming from that from, from some outer source. The, the, the bottom line is, is this. If you don't think of being confined in your own limitations of your brain, saying I'm an individual, so what I'm getting, if you think that you're somehow connected outside of it, it always goes back to Alessoni, always goes back to the collective. If you can fool yourself to be part of the collective, it, everything outside of it becomes part of that memory too. So it's a received impression or is it part of your imagination? or is it part of your recollection? Where did she go? We talked to her and she popped out. You see, that's what happens. All right. Anyhow, um, therefore the imagination is denser than the vision. The, the imagination is always denser because we use it as a human revelation because it's so pushed up against memory. There, there's somewhere in very similar sources. So this is why I think we confuse them easily. So we, we need to start thinking about imagination and uh, 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 recollection as two different things and try to, to do an exercise recollection or memory versus imagination. Pink butterfly with a horse head flying around that's a good one versus you going to the grocery store you're still using your imagination with your 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 memory because you just imagine when i says at the grocery store uh to to remember it you didn't remember when you were at the grocery store you just created an imaginary uh, version of you imitating yourself with a 
shopping cart going into the grocery store. You see how easily they're bumped up with one another. And this is what makes it difficult. And you got to play around with those ideas to try to distill them in your, in your head and teach that to yourself. So that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to sign off. I hope he gave you guys a lot to think about, but I do want you to sit in your rooms. I do want you to reflect on what I said, put it into practice. Like I, I wanted to teach you guys an exercise and do it with you, but it's so hard doing it this way. Uh, if I had a center, we'd be doing it all right now. One last thing I said in the write-up that I, that this had to do with the wall. When I walk through the wall, and I've talked to this about this before, because anybody, I can only imagine people from the from the outside saying, "Oh, you walk through a wall, right?" Okay, look, forget all of that. Whether I did or I didn't, the point is, is that in my mind, I already knew that I've done it. Allowing myself to believe what I already knew was the challenge walking through the wall wasn't the challenge get it rewind it unfortunately you can't okay goodbye everybody i will talk to you all later a lot of people ask us where's the best place to start with our courses and material the fundamental backbone of everything in our catalog is the foundation meditation system this is a unique meditation technique geared to the purpose of absorbing prana, stimulating key regions of the body that enhance sensory development, and allow one to tap into a source of unbridled spiritual energy. Foundation meditation can be learned in our book, Meditation Within Eternity, or you can visit our website, foundationmeditation.com, to acquire the audio course. Again, that's foundationmeditation.com. Each of Eric's books comes with a secure readers-only section online that contains a treasure trove of complimentary free training material. When you add up all the free training you get with each book, you have a combined total value of over $1,000 in additional content. This includes classes, guided meditation exercises, and more. Digital and physical copies are available at higherbalancebooks.com. Order the set on discount now, and we'll also send you a free guru deck in the mail for physical orders. Again, that's higherbalancebooks.com. Go there now, order your set, and join the growing movement of spiritual adepts. Follow us on Instagram at Higher Balance Institute, all one word. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a positive review to help others like yourself find this knowledge. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit our online store at higherbalance.com. Meditation. It's more than just relaxation. There are different kinds of meditation, just like there are different tools to do a job. Finding the right kind of meditation will decide whether you awaken or whether you just simply drift. Energy. More than just a thought, but of movement that you can literally feel through your body. Visions. More than a faded idea within your consciousness, but rather a vivid reality so clear it'll make you question reality itself. Meditation 
if used properly. We'll show you how to move the currents of your mind into a better life, a more prosperous life. Consciousness expanding, memory improvement, inner balance, higher balance. Most of all, discover who and what you are and what you can do. Join us at Higher Balance Institute. We'll help change your world. Thank you for listening to Rebel Guru Radio. 